Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. In the race for Missouri's second congressional district, only two Democratic candidates remain to see if they can flip the seat from red to blue. But with the new congressional map state lawmakers approved this session, that task will be tougher, as the new district now contains more likely Republican voters. On this week's episode of Politically Speaking, Democratic candidate Ray Reid joins the show to talk about his candidacy, his thoughts on policies, including the economy and gun control, and why he'd be a better congressperson than who is currently holding the position. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, State House and Politics reporter Sarah Kellogg. Joining me is my co-host. He is the political correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio. Jason Rosenbaum. And our guest today, he is running to become the Democratic candidate in the race for Missouri's 2nd Congressional District. Ray Reed. Thank you for joining us on the show. Um, Before we get started, we kind of want to know a little bit about you. Who are you and why are you running to represent Missouri's 2nd Congressional District? Yes, so I am Ray Reed. I am born and raised in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I got my start in Missouri politics after my freshman year of college, you know, in Governor Nixon's administration, working on the policy team, working on like bill reviews, clemency applications, and we got a little more than 70 folks pardoned for nonviolent drug-related offenses, which is really progressive looking at uh, Missouri right now. You know, after Nixon's administration went back to college, working with It's On Us campaign, uh, fighting sexual assaults on college campuses, and after college, got a job at the state party under Chairman Stephen Weber, uh, working on House and Senate races and organizing across all 114 counties and on Senator McCaskill's 18 campaign. Um, So I kind of say I get my government education under Governor Nixon and my political education under Senator McCaskill. you know, stay with the state party in 2020 cycle. Then, you know, after after the 2020 election, I sat at a bonfire with a bunch of friends in Kirkwood and we just talked about the issues that we care about. Um, we care about universal health care. We care about student loan forgiveness. We care about union rights. Um, we care about doing something about uh, the gun crisis in America. And what stood between me and working on those issues was this federal level, uh, was this federal office. So we decided to run for Congress. What sets you apart from Trish Gunby, who is your opponent in this primary race? You know, um, I think rep- I respect Representative Gunby. She has done an amazing job in the Missouri legislature. Um, you know, my, my decision to jump in this race wasn't necessarily because she or anyone else had any shortcomings. It was because I believe that the Democratic candidate uh, to represent Missouri's second district uh, needs to represent this district in more ways than one and needs to be able to build a broader coalition across divisions of race, region, religion, gender, income, and age group. And I just didn't see how anyone else in the field um, 
played to a broader swath of the electorate than Jill Shoup played in 2020. So I think folks were ready for something fresh, something new, something to get excited about in the second district. And and Gunby currently serves in the Missouri legislature and might have a higher name recognition. How do you plan to distinguish yourself from her as a candidate and get your name out? You know, yeah, um, you know, social media isn't real. <laughs> it's it's not. Uh, being on the doors is real. Uh, but if if you were to use it, you know, uh, with a grain of salt, uh, we started this campaign with about like 200 followers uh, on our social media, and it's grown to like 30,000. And we've been, you know, invited to come on MSNBC, and we've been to Washington meeting with a bunch of members. Um, so our name is is really getting out there, and uh, I think folks, you know, are hearing more and more every day about our campaign. So. Um... I am a second district resident now, thanks to the Missouri legislature putting parts of Richmond Heights into the second district, which is probably a story we can talk on an entire podcast about. <laughs> but one of your former opponents, Ben Samuels, dropped out of this race, mm -hmm. and he insinuated that one of the reasons why he dropped out was he felt like a Democrat can't win this district post-redistricting. Mm -hmm. Why is he wrong? He's wrong. You know, I think he... Not just him, but it's a disservice um, and it's kind of selling our voters short um, to say that, you know, folks can't be reached. A lot of those folks out there in Franklin County, Warren County, the rural areas of the district, they feel hardly reached. They're not hard to reach. Um, so it, it's really just about meeting people where they're at, um, knocking on doors. You know, we've been saying, you know, everywhere is Democrat country once this Democrat's been there. So if you win this primary, mm -hmm. you will likely face off against Congresswoman Ann Wagner if mm -hmm. she wins her Republican primary. Why do you feel like you would be a good candidate to match up with her in the fall? Because, uh, like I said earlier, we are the campaign that, you know, we're going to be able to reach a ton of voters that Ann Wagner is just going to have a ton of tough uh, time getting to. Um, that's why I said it takes someone, you know, who represents this district in more ways than one African-American, I'm younger, uh, a product of a proud, a product of union workers. You know, my grandma, my mom, my sister, they raised me. Um, I say I get my brains from my grandma. I get my patience from my mom and I get my social attitude from my sister. And my sister's an auto worker. My mom's an educator. My grandma is a bottler, is a retired bottler for Anheuser-Busch. Proud product of union workers in this heavy union district. I want to move on to the topic of inflation, which is widely seen as a big issue among voters in this election cycle. What would you do as a member of the House to address it? Yeah. So Ann Wagner, like, guys, she she blames Joe Biden for inflation. But just to be clear, fourteen hundred dollar checks to like the lower income Americans that didn't cause inflation. Uh, cutting taxes for Wall Street and the wealthiest 1% of Americans while at the same time spending the Trump years voting for trillions of dollars in government spending, that contributed more to inflation than, than uh, the social programs uh, the president and uh, House, leader, House and uh, Senate leadership are putting in place um, to help you know, folks who just need a little bit of breathing room. So uh, would you have voted for the Build Back Better plan, which is a program that some Republicans and uh, Senator Joe Manchin argue would have exacerbated inflation? I would. And I, you know, I wouldn't have separated from infrastructure. Uh, we we Corey was right on that. <laughs> You're talking about Congresswoman Cori Bush, who voted against the infrastructure bill because she wanted the Build Back Better plan to be passed before infrastructure. Yeah. And, you know, I do a lot of talking. Uh, I see the world as it is and the world as it should be. 
um, we should always be fighting for the world as it should be. Um, like, there's no doubt that Congresswoman Cory Bush wanted uh, infrastructure improvements in Missouri. She was just fighting for the world as it should be, um, which I applaud. In addition to inflation, another thing that's on the mind of voters right now is the higher price of gas. Are there policies that you would propose to alleviate the pain at the pump? Yeah, so uh, Congress, the House just passed uh, a bill about price gouging at the pump, um, and Congressman Ann Wagner voted against it. I would have voted for it in a heartbeat, um, but I would definitely would have followed House leadership on that one. You list environmental justice and the climate crisis as one of the policies on your campaign website. And I'm sure that like, if you win this primary, Ann Wagner is going to be like, well, Joe Biden's environmental policies are causing the high gas prices and the energy pro problems in this country. I, I want you to respond to that preemptively, because I think that that's going to be a major line of attack among all Republicans attacking Democrats this cycle. Yeah. So climate climate change didn't just happen. Um, and I'm a product of Governor Nixon and any anyone uh, who's aware, aware or familiar with Governor Nixon, he's big on Missouri's natural resources. Um, so that's kind of been instilled to me to do everything we can to preserve Missouri's natural resources and protect, protect our farmers and their crops. Um, so I'll do everything I can in Congress to uh, combat climate change. So we are recording this on Tuesday, June 14th. Mm -hmm. And by the time this podcast airs, it's possible that the Supreme Court could issue its ruling overturning Roe versus Wade. Yeah. And if that does happen, Missouri is a state that has a trigger law that would ban most abortions in the state with only an exception for an emergency concerning the life of the mother. There are no exceptions for people that become pregnant due to rape or incest. Um, how would you push back against this if you were in Congress, and what would be your your feeling if the Supreme Court follows through on what was detailed in the political article? Yeah. Um, so just like before I answer the question, no woman owes you an explanation on her personal medical decisions, and that includes the government. Uh, uh, there is a photo of me standing on the Capitol steps with Congressman Cory Bush uh, last week um, that got a lot of attention. Um, you know, and I asked her, like, what's the path forward after we, the ruling that we think is going to come down comes down? And she told me um, and she's full of she's full of gems. I, I love Corey. Um, but she told me we do the work that we're already doing. We don't give up the fight. We continue to organize. We continue to march. We continue to do everything, everything we can elect uh, progressive and, and just common sense uh, elected officials on this issue. Uh, folks who will always fight for everyone's right to choose. Um, I'm not ready to give up on the fight on that. Um, I know a lot of folks in the second district aren't either. So you would I would just based off that answer, if a bill came forward that would codify Roe versus Wade into federal law, which would make abortion legal in every state of the nation, you would vote for that. I would put my voting card in as hard as I can to vote for that. Do you think that this potential decision will end up incentivizing voters who are in favor of abortion rights to turn out at the polls in higher numbers than those who are opposed to abortion rights? I think so. And I think Republicans are afraid of it. I think they know that they went too far uh, with messing with women and their bodies. How do you convince voters that truly believe abortion is wrong to vote for you? For many Missouri voters, they may be amenable to Democratic policies, but won't vote for Democratic candidates because of their support of abortion rights. Yeah, and I've talked uh, I've talked to a lot of folks um, in the Catholic community in particular. You know, I went I attended a Catholic uh, uh, school in my formative years, um, 
you know, if you if you really want to uh, do everything we can to bring down the numbers of abortion, well, let's invest in contraceptives. Let's in, let's invest in programs that educate uh, young kids about uh, safe sex. Um, just investing in programs to bring down the bring down uh, the numbers of abortion without without taking away a woman's access to abortion. Are there any restrictions on abortion that you would support? No. Why? Uh, because it's not government's business uh, what a woman does with her body. Like, I don't believe that's my decision. I have no right to stand in between what a woman does with her body. It's between a woman and her doctor, period. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to the topic of Ukraine. Do you support <laughs> continuing to provide military and humanitarian aid to Ukraine? I do. I believe that, you know, the United States, we have a responsibility to stand with our allies, uh, around the world. So without a doubt, I'd uh, support um, standing with Ukraine. Would you have voted for the $40 billion aid package to Ukraine that Joe Biden signed into law? Why or why not? Uh, I would um, only because it's about just keeping our commitment uh, to the Ukrainians and uh, and just, you know, <laughs> uh, fighting against our adversaries uh, in Russia. What do you make of the argument that focusing on Ukraine detracts from domestic challenges? Um, I those same folks who were making that up or would uh, also say we need to focus on uh, a wasted uh, war, not a wasted war, uh, but overspending on a war in Iraq. Um, this, this isn't the same kind of deal. It's about standing with our allies uh, around the world. Um, so one more question before we go to break. Do you think that sanctioning Russia has been effective? Some would argue it hasn't really changed their decision making. Um, it will. Uh, Russia is not exactly uh, the superpower that they once were. Um, you know, I think their their economy isn't isn't anywhere as near as strong as the United States. Um, so it's important to continue to crack down on Russia. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with second congressional district candidate Ray Reed. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. And we're back on Politically Speaking with our guest today, Ray Reed, who is running as a Democrat for Missouri's 2nd Congressional District. Let's get back into it with more questions. The next topic is on gun control. So this is another issue that's top of mind for folks now is whether to pursue gun control. And if you make it to Congress, what policies around guns would you support? Yes. So I've spent the last week in Washington doing the job that Ann Wagner should have been doing. I've been meeting with members. I I met with members of the House and the Senate um, like members like Senator Joni Ernst, uh, Mitch McConnell, um, <laughs> Chris Murphy, just to talk about the issues. I met there with uh, my friend David Hogg. Um, and, you know, we just were doing the job trying to build consensus around uh, trying to build consensus around gun control. Um, you know, if we were to do nothing like many Republicans and Congresswoman Ann Wagner wants to do, we're only inviting what happened in Evalde to happen again in the fall when kids go back to school. Um, and, you know, I spoke at the March for Our Lives rally over the weekend and I told kids like on stage, you deserve not to be shot in school. I'm sorry that like a lot of elected officials want to do absolutely nothing, um, but I won't stay on the side. And while while kids are like 19 kids are being gunned down in a classroom. So what policies would you kind of 
you know, push for if if in Congress. Yeah. So I love that background checks is in is in the framework right now. But I want to see a ban on assault rifles. Um, my brother serves in our armed forces. Um, I know I know those kind of weapons of war. And there's no reason for an assault rifle, a military styled weapon to be just around on the streets of our suburbs in Missouri. Do you think that banning certain types of guns that you alluded to is kind of a fruitless endeavor just because there's so many in circulation right now? Um, no, because we have to do something because the alternative, Jason, is to do nothing um, and to just let more flood the streets like um, the, the framework right now is great, but it doesn't stop what happened in Evalde from happening right now or happening tomorrow in Missouri, because in Missouri, because of Senate Bill uh, 656 from 2016 that became law, you don't even need a license to carry uh, to conceal carry a gun in Missouri. Um, our state is just rolled back the clock um unfortunately uh on on gun laws so we have to do we have to do more what do you think about the idea of red flag laws which is the judicial process which could take away guns from people who are deemed a threat to themselves or others um i think that's a good a good step um it definitely could have stopped a lot of mass shootings from happening and could hopefully get a lot of guns out the streets in like in places like north city of st louis and what do you say to people who feel that this process could be abused and disarm people who are not a threat to themselves or others? Um, I often hear that, you know, it's it's um, it's an infraction or it's a it's a government overreach on um, their Second Amendment rights. Um, but like just to be clear, um, we used to have really bad auto fatality rates, um, but we studied the problem. We implemented seatbelt laws. We changed the way that uh, streets were built so cars were less likely to bank. We studied the issue and then we implemented laws to to fix the problem. And over time, uh, auto fatality rates have dropped. We can do that. We can bring that same kind of logic to gun laws. Um, so I'm 100 uh, percent in favor of doing everything we can to uh, bring down gun deaths in Missouri. So you mentioned the framework, which is this like tentative outline that kind of came about over the weekend. It involves monetary incentives for states to pass red flag laws, more funding for mental health programs, new governmental checks on people under 21 to, uh, who are trying to buy a gun. Do you support this bill in progress or do you think this doesn't go far enough? It doesn't go far enough, but I support it. Um, something that like David mentioned to me is that like we have to do something. We're not going to get everything. He told me like right away, we're not going to get everything we want right away, but we have to do something because the alternative, Jason, is just to do nothing. Um, and like I just can't sit around and Wagner might sit around and do nothing, but I just can't sit around and do nothing. You know, I want to talk about something that may be a difficult question to answer, but I know that a lot of supporters of restrictions on guns like blame the NRA for an action. And I think that that is kind of a cop out. I think that the reason why there are so many politicians who do not support gun control is because they go out and campaign. They are very upfront saying, I will not vote for any restrictions on guns and voters keep voting them in. So is this really a problem with voters basically getting the policies that they were told? Or do you see this as a problem of interest groups influencing voters to to vote for those people? Um, I don't think it's it's necessarily so black and white. I think it has to go in part with Democrats are just bad at messaging and have been in the past. And we let in the, we let Republicans spin our narrative for us um, when we need to make it about like, guys, kids are being killed in schools. 
Like that's just it's just not okay to continue to do nothing on this issue. So before we move on to another topic, I do want to talk about the mental health aspect. Mm -hmm. And I want to just make it clear the framework doesn't have this idea in it. But there has been kind of this insinuation that certain people with mental health diagnoses or disabilities should not be able to have guns. And a lot of disability activists have pushed back against that idea, saying it's not just a Second Amendment violation. It's a 14th Amendment equal protection violation, especially if the mental health diagnosis has no nexus with violence. So I want to get your take on whether you would be in support of banning people with certain mental health diagnoses from getting guns. I think it would depend on what those mental health diagnoses are. Um, we have to bring in experts on that. Um, but I'm I'm 100% in favor of, you know, if someone is clearly a danger to themselves and the folks around them, we have to get that gun away from them. So we're going to move on to a different topic, which is COVID-19. Uh, it is still around, <laughs> despite it being 2022. What policies would you pursue to continue to get the COVID-19 pandemic under control? Yeah, so I'm running for Congress, so, you know, I'm going to throw this in there. Uh, my opponent, Congresswoman Ann Wagner, has spent the entire uh, pandemic essentially discouraging local leaders um, from enacting life-saving measures. Um she wouldn't even encourage folks to wear a mask or get vaccinated. Like, um, I would take a completely different approach um, <clears throat> and follow the White House leadership, uh, not just the White House leadership, the experts in the White House's leadership um, on doing everything we can to combat the pandemic um, and make sure that folks are taken care of, uh, whether it be through uh, financial aid or uh, making sure that folks in hospitals have the resources they need. Um, to fight this pandemic and just and just beat it, beat it. Do you think that the Democratic support of things like vaccine mandates and mask mandates has backfired among voters? And are they even credible strategies anymore with Omicron being so contagious? Yeah, so we've required kids to be vaccinated in schools for like decades now. Um, and this is this is just another vaccine, guys. Um, I don't think it's necessarily backfiring with voters. Um, I think we just have to do a better job again with communication and communicating to folks how the vaccine is made and how safe it is. Speaking of communication, mm -hmm. you know, I recently had COVID. I recently took Paxlovid and I was able to get access to Paxlovid because I was extremely knowledgeable about the labyrinth like process to get it. Mm -hmm. But I have run into people who have no clue what Paxlovid is no clue about the fact that it prevents you from being so sick that you get hospitalized or die and no idea how to get it. Do you think that there needs to be more emphasis on educating people about what Paxlovid is and what other therapeutics are and how to obtain them rather than continuing to fight like the mask mandate wars or something like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it really comes down to just how we communicate. We got to, again, meet folks where they're all, where they are. So a lot of folks are on social media, so we got to like just run those ads and informationals on social media, um, and just contact. I'm holding my phone. Uh, contact folks through their phones. Uh, everyone's holding the phone. All three of us in this room are holding our phones. I am because I'm, I am reading the outline of these questions just to to give give a sense of how this podcast works. But continue. Yeah, we just we just got to do a better job with uh, just communicating with folks. So I want to move on to our last topic, which is. I think the most difficult topic in America today and for the past decades or centuries, and that's race relations. Mm -hmm. What would you do as a congressman to bridge divides between the federal government and black people? 
Um, well, I think we talked about this. Uh, well, we talked about on uh, the, the night of the bonfire in Kirkwood. What are we going to do? Like, let's make Democrats cool again, Missouri. That's how we win. Um, another thing we talked about was what are we going to do when we get there? And it's, of course, you know, passing that George Floyd uh, policing act. And I think when I like stand up there and take that oath, oath of office, a lot of young African-Americans here in the district and really around the state of Missouri are going to be encouraged that, oh, this isn't something that, you know, is just for older white, older white men or older white women, women. Um, it's something that I can aspire to. Um, the government is a place that I have a role in. I mean, if you do end up winning the seat, mm -hmm. it, you would be representing like, I, I don't know what the percentage is of the second district, but it has to be in the single digits. Mm -hmm. um, it is not like wholly unusual for an African-American to represent a largely white district. I mean, Emanuel Cleaver is doing that right now. Mm -hmm. But do you think it would send a message to Missouri writ large that mm -hmm. you don't have to necessarily run in a 50 percent black district in order to represent people in Congress. Yeah. And I think that's that's again where it goes to like to the cynics. Like they're selling our voters short. Um folks are folks are okay with uh with someone who's African American, someone who doesn't necessarily look like them, as long as they know that they have their best interest in heart and that they're doing uh, they're that they're enacting and, and or pursuing the policies in Congress because they care about them, they care about their families. Do you think that eradicating racism is something that Congress can even do? Or do you think it also is a combination of working with the state and local levels to come up with certain policies to break down traditional barriers that Black people encounter? Yeah, um, Congress isn't really good at doing anything. I'm just going there to make, I'm just going there to try to make it a little bit better. Um, but, you know, it, I think it starts on the ground. Um, it's not it's not a trickle down issue uh, with race with race relations. It starts in our community with uh, with improving our relationships with the police, with improving our relationships with just a black guy walking down the street and not getting looked at weird. Now, I, I want to hone in more on the law enforcement side. What are some you, you mentioned the George Floyd uh, legislation? I want you to be more specific about policies you would support that would I would say create more trust between black people and the police. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when Congresswoman when Congresswoman Wagner talks about funding the police, um, she talks about, you know, making sure they have money to have tanks to roll down the streets of our suburbs, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, when I'm talking about funding the police, I'm talking about funding them um, at inadequately training them um, to have the resources and the training that they need uh, to go into communities uh, and address a wide range of issues, not turn our suburbs into a war zone. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Mr. Reed, for joining us. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And you can access all our stories at stlpr.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah K. Kellogg. Jason, where can people find you on Twitter? Jay Rosenbaum. And Ray Reed, where can people find information about your campaign? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ray Reed M.O. or on the website if you're a dinosaur like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You can find me on, on the website at RayReedMO.com. Well, in a similar vibe, do you have a TikTok? I do. And it's, it's see, we're, we've got the messaging thing down. It's Ray Reed M.O. across all social media. And Perfect. what do you do on TikTok? <laughs> uh, so we just like push out videos like I went on MSNBC and we just threw a video that I had on there out there. All right, until next time, so long.